0: This is Profiles in Risk Hosted by Nick Lamparelli Every week we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career and reputation And those who work behind the scenes, who look to protect and enlighten us about risk you can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot Now, on to the show.
1: Welcome to Profiles in Risk. I'm your host, Nick Lamparelli. I am pleased today to introduce David Tobias. David is the co-founder of BetterView. BetterView exists to make every building and property thoroughly understood. In an increasingly competitive environment, decision makers are able to reduce risk, cost, and waste by leveraging the BetterView machine learning platform to unlock actionable insight from an abundance of drone, aerial, and satellite imagery. David, thank you for being on the show.
0: Thanks for having me. Super excited to participate.
1: I am as well. I spend a lot of my day looking at imagery. As most of the listeners know, I do uh, flood insurance for, as a day job. And so we're constantly trying to examine properties and look at them from different angles. And it's hard, you know, And but and, but it's improved a lot. So I gave a description of what BetterView does. I'm most curious about some aspects. You know, drone technology is fairly new. How did BetterView emerge? Where did it come from? What problem did you see that you yeah. thought... I uh, that you needed to start a company to try to solve it?
0: Yeah, you know, we, we approached the problem first and foremost, which is kind of unique here on Silicon Valley. A lot of people come up with solutions and then try to find problems to adhere those solutions to. I grew up in the insurance inspection world of all things. So my dad started a commercial loss control inspection company 40, 45 years ago called RSI or Research Specialist. Um, and so I grew up doing inspections with them, going out to the field, looking at buildings and properties, uh, mostly commercial. And so I took over that business more than 10 years ago, grew it quite a bit, about 600 inspectors across the country. And we had insurance carriers coming to us needing more and better roof information specifically. So hail claims were getting worse. They were insuring a lot of buildings with pre-existing hail and roof damage, and they didn't know about it. So we looked for solutions to try to get them that information they were looking for. We we deployed like 200 roof poles across the country, which are essentially painters poles with like a camera attachment on top.
1: Oh wait, wait, wait! Before if you, before yeah. you even go on, I, do do they? How does the camera stay on the
0: pole? <laughs> you buy an attachment, and then you know. So you're you taping the it like on. The, they, I think some guys probably duct taped it on, uh, <laughs> but they they were supposed to buy this camera attachment and then you know do all this stuff the results were not good. You know, we would get a photo of one corner of the side of the roof. You couldn't tell anything. You couldn't see if there was hail damage, anything like that. We tried to get the inspectors to go you know, take ladders with them and, you know, hey, we'll pay you a few extra bucks if you go up on the roof. You, know, you go to the guy in Scottsdale, Arizona, it's 120 degrees out. and You say, hey, I'm going to pay you a few extra bucks to go on the roof. I, I got laughed out of a lot of rooms with that approach. So, yeah.
1: Plus that, plus that causes some other problems
0: too. Well, work. You know, obviously, the, nobody wants to get up on a roof or a ladder if they can help it, and uh, so there's some work comp risk and cost. And still, you're not guaranteed that you're going to get the you know the photos if you want you need, which you really need the whole roof. So when the drone technology really started to advance, I started to see like 3D robotics at the time. You know, that it was getting easier to fly, and then the DJI drones, especially, said, you know, this is interesting. How can we utilize drones for insurance? Starting with this very specific use case of. Unlocking roof data for insurers, can we do it cheaply, safely, and effectively using this new technology, which is effectively a flying digital camera and growing up in the inspection industry, I had seen the transition from film cameras to digital cameras, and we've seen a lot of the same trends with with the drone. you know every, when the digital camera came out, there was insurers saying, "We'll never accept a digital photo like it can be doctored and things like that. And, you, you know, you kind of heard some of the same questioning on the drone when it first came out, too. You know, how do we know the photos are going to be close enough? Are they going to be any good? All the, you know, what about the regulatory environment? Things like that. And a lot of those have kind of gone away now and people are trying to figure out how to scale that technology. But that was really the the impetus to, to BetterView was I was trying to solve this specific problem. David Lyman, co-founder, was a friend of mine. And he had an, another startup that he had sold to Constant Contact. And he was at the end of his kind of earnout there, and a friend, of, a, fr- a, co- a mutual friend of ours, said, "Hey, you're both talking a lot about drones. You need to get together." And that was the kind of start of that.
1: So it starts with roofs and roof damage and and things like that. So immediately, and and you have a background in insurance, so insurance is a natural fit for that kind of information. Are there any other industries? I I, I would suspect that this could extend well beyond just in what in. You know, just the needs of the insurance industry.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we do things with the roofing industry, as you'd imagine. We also do, we work for one of the largest national paving companies. They used to put people on planes. You know, they'll get deals to do, you know, big chain construction, you know, supply stores. You can figure out who those are, right? And, there'll, you know, be hundreds of parking lots across the country. They used to put people on planes to go measure the parking lots and take photos. And guess what? We can fly the whole parking lot, you know, in, Minutes or you know hours if it's a, a large you know structure and they never have to put these people on planes they get accurate measurements they can look for damage so there's the construction industries obviously that this type of imagery can be valuable for the real estate and property management companies and the reits as well you know there's interest to, around looking at you know anybody who needs insight around buildings and properties you know is 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 somebody that we can we can provide a solution to and you know there's a lot of different ways you can do that but the aerial imagery has really become cost effective. You know, there's a lot and we can get into this a lot that you can do with the aerial imagery that people don't think about, you know, even with flood and other, other use cases.
1: Yeah. That's what I wanted to get into because, you know, it starts with a pole with uh, maybe first with a camera duct tape on, but then an attachment, you know, things begin to evolve. The key thing is with digital imagery, you can do math on that. So you can do like when you're saying you can do square footage calculation of a, of a parking lot, it's literally the drone is flying back and forth, and you can then mathematically determine what the precise measurements are. Uh, could you could you walk us through the development of your technology from just taking pictures to adding software that can do all kinds of really cool stuff with that picture?
0: Yeah, definitely. I have a software background, uh, so so David, so we you know we we knew kind of a, a roadmap, but we first and foremost want to see if anybody was willing to pay us for this data. So at first what we did is we got some customers I knew, some insurance carriers and that I knew had this roof, you know, information problem. Said, hey, we want to fly some drones. You know, this is before the regulatory stuff. You know, it was much more questionable back then. Hey, we want to fly some drones and see if we can get you this roof data. And somehow, I found people that trusted me enough to to, to let me go fly drones over their insurance buildings. And we started seeing the imagery. And we hired local drone pilots. You know, so we weren't flying somewhere to go fly. We we're hiring local pilots that already had the equipment. So first job we did, the first paid job, we had no software. We had you know, nothing. We're just kind of piecing things together. The the funny thing is we we go out, we fly something in Colorado, we get these really cool images. I'm excited. David's excited. It's our first like paid job, if you will. I send it to the underwriter who I knew. I get a call from them like five minutes later saying, you know, hey, the photos are really cool, uh, really close up. What the heck does it mean? And heck was not the word he used. He used a different uh, uh, version of the word. And we instantly realized, you know, it wasn't about the capture. It wasn't about, you know, the drone. It was about what, what can you do with the imagery? What, what can you manipulate the imagery into and actually turn into a valuable output that an underwriter, claims manager, you know, whoever it is could make a decision on. And, you know, that we, we learned that lesson very early. So the first piece of software we built was actually a tool to take in hundreds or thousands of images, tag them, you know, you know with tag things that, you know, anomalies that you see in the image. So a hail ding, um, missing shingle, um, water pond, whatever that is, and generate a PDF output that these insurance companies could take into their document management systems they could use in underwriting or claims. That was the first real software we built before we did anything around the drone or you know managing this workforce or anything like that. That was the first thing we built because david and i felt the pain you know we were the ones annotating and putting together the first reports and we, we found that there was no tool out there to take in hundreds of thousands of photos like this you know turn it into a report output and you know we went from there from there we started going down the stack then we realized well we have a growing workforce of people we need to manage those people i knew how to do that pretty well because i managed them on the inspection you know in the inspection world so we built our own software to assign jobs to people get them to do it upload the photos Photo and file management was a big one because the drone, you know, creates a lot of photos. So you need to be able to manage that. You need to be able to sort them by building. You need to be able to use the geospatial data from the photos. And and then you also need to, to your point on creating measurements and things like that to do so, you need to stitch the photos together. So you need to create an orthomosaic map and that's a bunch of overlapping images that the computer can stitch together. And then you can do that like geospatial analysis on it. You can, measure things. You can look at a digital surface model. So you can see the low parts and the high parts on the property, which I think gets really excited when you talk about some of the changes that might be coming to the, the flood programs, which I know you can speak to um, more eloquently probably than I can. But you know, looking at the individualized property level risk rather than like a flood plat, like the drone can provide a lot of data that can be valuable on an individual property basis. So we built the software to automatically stitch all those together and then generate the report we didn't originally start with AI. We kind of stumbled into AI, realizing we were computer vision specifically could automatically identify a lot of the things that we were having humans tag and, you know, claims adjusters. So we have uh, claims adjusters on staff here in San Francisco. We also have a network of independent claims adjusters that we can use that can analyze photos and reports for us. But we realized that we're tagging the same things over and over and over again, and we could train the computer to, to do that. And then, then we kind of stumbled into it and said, you know, again, we were trying to solve some specific problems around how do we get more efficient? Not necessarily AI is cool. How do we make ourselves an AI company? We actually were using it to solve a problem. And that's how we kind of pushed into that side of it. So now the software is really full fledged. We have a mobile app that automatically flies the drone and will take the photos off the drone. We have software that automatically tags hail damage using AI, you know, puts bounding boxes around all the hail things. So we have a product now that runs the full full suite on the drone side. And then we have a, a product that allows us to take manned aircraft satellite imagery and using AI automatically detect roof condition and other things off of that.
1: Okay. So you've, you've extended beyond drones. So now you're doing using all sorts of imagery, regardless of yep. where it comes from and, and being able to use the same uh, or similar software technology to start to tag, you know, because exactly. you're, you're essentially tagging the same things photo by photo and, and that now have a computer learn how to do that and then do it automatically.
0: Yeah, we, you know, there, there's, as we went deeper and deeper and we started looking at, you know, the, the market as a whole, there's different resolution of aerial imagery that can be useful at different points. So satellite is the lowest resolution, but the cheapest. Manned aircraft is more expensive but it's more frequent and it's higher resolution. And then drone is the most expensive, but it's the only thing that you could actually see like a hail ding in, just for example. So we found out, you know, we're really good at using aerial imagery, you know, as we started with the drone and we expanded that out and productized some, you know, product that, that, that is, you don't even need the drone yet. And then if you decide, you know, you see something in the aircraft imagery or the satellite imagery that we detect um, and you decide you want to go send the drone out, we can provide that full stack. So an insurance carrier can come to us and we can provide them drone imagery, satellite imagery, manned aircraft imagery. We can automatically analyze that for them. We can do it during underwriting, claims, and CAT.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm thinking, one, just outside of the insurance sphere, this is like a textbook startup, right? You started out, and I see this all the time in InsurTech, you started out with a shallow solution but you had the wherewithal to figure out we need to get deeper and luckily you had the feedback from from one of your underwriters from that customer because you guys got really excited but then you came back down to earth when you realized it's not really providing a solution it's cool and but it's it peaks you know peaks curiosity and gets them interested so that you can get to, you, know, you can really drive towards a solution so that's great and then you brought up cat so last year was a bad year. We had uh, wildfires, two of them out where you uh, you are in California, two major ones. You know, uh, I think there were technically lots of wildfires, but one giant one set of ones in the north, one set of ones in the south, Correct. followed by mudslides there. Then hurricanes on the east: mm-hmm. uh, Harvey, Irma. What was 2017 like for Better View?
0: It was a it was a whirlwind. I mean, uh, you know, you never want to wish. for for catastrophes, of course, but it was a, I think a pivotal moment for drone and aerial technology. We got used pretty heavily in Harvey, but Irma was the bigger sort of drone use case and demand. We had insurance carriers in Florida saying, you know, in their policies in Florida, having us go to every claim they had. And we were getting there days and sometimes weeks before they could get traditional claims adjusters out there. It was like a
1: perfect storm for you because the, uh, the, problem with Irma was all where all the claims adjusters were over in Texas. In Texas
0: yeah. And yep. so it was like
1: a, a wonderful use of technology that it's there, it's available and we can deploy it right away.
0: Exactly. And we had the people in place, so we weren't moving people around. We do a lot of work in Florida. We do a lot of work in Texas already. So we weren't redeploying people. So that was a benefit. You know, I think over time, our view is, the claims folks, you know, the claims management firms, they will have drones with them and we want them out there with our software. So we license our solution to insurance carriers who have their own, you know, claims folks in the fields. And also we work with some of the biggest, you know, claims management firms. So that's our view, you know, eventually it won't be our workforce. It's just right now people still need help flying the drone. And that's our long-term view on that. But in that type of cat situation, you know, we had people, we had imagery coming in and they were paying claims. Before anybody could even get to the site, before even sometimes the homeowners, for example, were back to their home. You know, they were getting a call from their insurance company, and that's that's pretty powerful. And you you really need technology like the drone to be able to provide for something like that. So, you know, Florida especially was very very busy for for us. I think it kind of brought drones to the forefront of everybody's thought process. Of okay, we now believe that the drone and this aerial technology can help solve our problems. How do we scale that? What's next? And you know, that's kind of where. Depends. Every company is different, but that's sort of where we are today is, is, um, a lot of people now have decided this technology can solve their problems. They believe it. Now it's, you know, how do we do it? Who flies the drone, who provides our aerial imagery, things like that.
1: For, um, cat perils like flooding and wildfires, uh, first, will a drone work during a wildfire or is, or is the, um, either, you know, the, the smoke or the, basically the, yeah, you know the the windy um, environment that's being created by the heat that's rising from a wildfire. Can a can a drone work over a wildfire?
0: So the short answer is not really. Uh, okay. The you have smoke is a problem, so you can't see anything. You know the cameras can't see much. Uh, usually the airspace is shut down, so uh, it's, it's, okay. uh, FA is going to shut down the airspace. So flood and post you know wind event Irma you know hurricane things like that the FAA was actually great. You know, we were able to get very quick clearance and they set up emergency offices. We were one of the first to fly in Texas post, post storm in Houston. Uh, you know, and, and so we were able to get all the, also we're flying generally fairly low, hundred, 150 feet. You know, we're not flying up where the general aviation aircraft is. So really the solution for, for wildfire and even sometimes flood, the better solution is to use satellite or manned aircraft imagery, depending on what you can get. So, a lot of our clients in the NAPA fires, really, they just needed to know, you know, was the home that they insured full loss, partial loss, or no loss? That's that's really what they needed to know and they wanted to know it quickly. We were able to use non-visual spectrum satellite imagery that can look through smoke and determine that using the AI. to Just, just, just determine, you know, no loss, partial loss, full loss. And so that was cheaper and faster than sending the drone out.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking of... Um uh inland flooding where uh the the footprint's really difficult to kind of figure out you know for a hurricane the surge you kind of know it's going to be coastal it's going to be in these areas but like harvey seems like a really good example because the flooding that was caused was not surge it was yeah. inland and and part of it was man-made when they opened up the dams so uh, you know having a drone there to kind of scan around and basically draw Draw a line of this is the footprint of of the event would seem incredibly valuable for the insurance industry and I'm thinking for what I do on a day to day basis, um, part of the struggle that I have is I get properties that come to me you know to to try to uh, get flood coverage they've never they claim they never had a flood loss I run models that tell me. You, the models say have something that's conflicting, like you know, oh, they said they never had a flood loss, but the models are estimating very high losses. So I sit there and kind of scratch my head, and I, I'm sort of wondering, well, how close is this thing to the water? But also, these small floods that occur, what has happened in the past, or as the floods are occurring, can we can we create a database of these smaller floods so we'll you know we can go back to them and and know what happened in this area during this one event. So drone technology seems like a natural for cat where you can't get an adjuster there, or there's just all kinds of um, roadblocks to, to try to collect information. The drone can just get there and collect that information for you.
0: Yeah. And there, there, there's a lot of benefit, you know, there's obviously a safety benefit to that. Like we, we got brought in on one where nobody could get really close to the property, right. Because of the flood and it wasn't safe to go in. There were some electrical concerns, Well, we were able to launch the drone from a hill, you know, a little bit further away, still within visual line of sight though, and and go get eyes on it, right? And that, that was really valuable. And in the scheme of things didn't cost very much. I think, you know, with flood, also the way that the drone can map something out and very quickly generate a digital surface model, which is an elevation profile. So you can see, okay, it's next to a little river, where are the low spots? So if this river just goes over peak, you know, what happens? Does, does the whole, building flood or just a parking lot, you know, being able to do some of that on a more property, you know, specific basis. I think there's a lot of potential value around flood. That being said, we haven't, we've done work. We've done some work post-flood. We haven't done much on the underwriting side for flood i i think that's going to be a market and maybe people are waiting for some of the changes or you know and how that works but you might be able to explain better than me why we haven't seen that as a as a market just yet. yeah
1: well maybe maybe we need to spend more time talking together but you know i, I think i think what what's holding back the flood market is that the the federal government has such a major role in it yeah. and they they struggle to get out of their own way um, when, when it comes to this, but the private market's becoming very active. And so, it, you know, that, that is, uh, one of the reasons why we ended up connecting. We, we, I think we connected almost a year ago was, yeah, yeah, longer, yeah. um, was because of, because of the challenge that we're having with this. So I, am I will, uh, we will work together on, on the flood aspect cause I, I, have you know, we've developed some of our own, uh, internal tagging insights, as well as you see it but there's a slightly different problem when it when it comes to flood so i i'm curious uh how much did your background in insurance speed up the development of your business model you know trying to determine how we're going to do it because it probably opened a lot of doors but you probably also knew at least rudimentary that some things were going to be some information was going to be more valuable than others
0: yeah, I think it gave us credibility, right? As we were going and pitching these products to insurance companies, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of, and no offense to any of them, there's some great ones, right? There's a lot of insurtech and fintech companies out there that are trying to sell into insurance, but have no real insurance background. That doesn't mean you won't be successful. I mean, it, it, some of them are very, very successful. And I would argue that there's a lot of need for people coming in from outside of the insurance industry and bringing new ideas in. But it helps speed up the cycle in, I don't have to convince somebody that uh, we know what we're talking about. We're trying to solve a problem that we already know that they have, right? And, and we can relate to them. It also obviously had connections. You know, we had insurance companies who were willing to give us a shot. And, you know, zero to one is always the hardest. So getting those first yeah. orders, getting that first deal done is, is really always the hardest. You know, but selling into the insurance market is, a, is an art in and of itself. It's, it can be slow. And, you know, we're venture-backed. And, you know, so sometimes these, they're longer sales processes, but if you can really solve a problem, there is big markets here.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned zero to one. So I, I know it's always the end of the podcast where I ask about books. So I'm, sure. I'm going to make a note. We're going to put that on the show notes because uh, that is one of the best books yep. out there um, on how to, on how to get a business up and running. So that makes a lot of sense And that. And I really, and that's my experience as well. The diversity of the people coming in. So the tech folks that come in bring a different skill set, different mindset, which is incredibly valuable. It's tying it to the actual business solution that becomes more of a problem for them, which is which is something I'm concerned about when uh, for insure tech is I think a lot of those ideas are going to die, uh, yeah. unfortunately, because they can't get qu- they can't quickly enough go go past that shallow point that you guys hit to get to a a solution. So that leads me to my next question, which is your, your co-founder, who's the CEO, David Lyman, he doesn't have an insurance background, correct? Correct. Okay, so could that be part of the solution for the insure tech folks that are coming in? Can they partner, can they bring in co-founders or uh, senior people with the insurance background knowledge that can help speed up that process to to get to market faster
0: yeah i i think that is a solution i mean i have a a technical background and i know how to code do 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 some engineering things so does david but david also had a he had had a venture-backed startup before and he had brought it you know raised money had gone through the experiences there and then sold that company and uh and that's very valuable information if you're going to be venture backed. And by the way, you know, not every company should be venture backed, uh, you know, and, and I think that's a common misconception. But yeah, uh,
1: that is so true. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. I, especially in insurance, I, I'm there. I think there are a lot of solutions that technology companies can provide where I, I just don't think it's a venture opportunity. You know, it's yeah. not going to grow to a potential billion dollar company and it really should be um, funded within the sphere of uh, insurance innovation. So insurance carriers kind of funding those and innovating those, but not necessarily expecting like, you know, a thousand or 10,000 X return. Yeah. Um, how do you know? Uh, I, I guess for, for the tech companies, unless they have, unless they, you know, can get some kind of insurance expertise on, it's going to be really difficult to know until perhaps that they're, you know, too far down the road to reverse back.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think getting, if you're going to sell to the insurance market get people on your team as quickly as possible that know insurance and know the type of insurance, you know, property is very different than life. You know, you need to know what type of insurance and you need to know the different ways. I mean, I've been selling into insurance my whole life. So it's not just providing the actual solution to that side of the business. It's knowing how to sell to that side of the business. It's, it's equally, if not sometimes more important then nailing the solution. You know, you need to know who is the right person to go to, how are you going to sell to them, how do they purchase? Do they have budget for something like this? You know, there's a lot of questions and I think I think to your point there's been a lot of people who thought about those things too late and maybe tried to pull in talent at that point, but in in you know, the same thing on the venture side, I think the market will tell you very quickly when you're going out and talking to the venture capitalists if you should be venture backed or not, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're pretty brutal. Right. And, um, you know, I think the market tells you quickly, uh, you know, whether they think you're a venture backable business or not.
1: You, you hit on the, I think the two key points, um, with the, the, the biggest hurdles that insure tech have to get over is the insurance expertise. Um, I've told, uh, more than I can count on both my hands, insure tech companies that they needed to hire a professional sales team or a professional salesperson because they had either the leader or the tech person, um, selling, pitching the product. And they would, they just, as an insurance professional, I, I was like, I felt bad for them. I was like, you, you really shouldn't be saying that, you know, to, to me, because that's, that's going to make me less likely to buy your product or more likely to try to fix it in house. So, uh, and we spout about that all the time on this podcast, soft skills, the ability to persuade or sell, is just something that's very missing. I think it's an afterthought for a lot of tech companies to start, not just insure tech, just in tech yeah. in general, selling is an afterthought.
0: I would, I would totally 100% agree with that. I would also see, a, I've seen a lot of companies that have hired salespeople too soon, and that can be a problem as well. Uh, but if your founders don't have like, the core asset to sell into the market that you're trying to pitch to, then you need to hire, you need to bring in that outside help and you need to bring it in quickly. If they do, you want to ride that wave as long as you can, I
1: think. Yeah. But, Kudos uh, to your dad for uh, getting you I, in and teaching you those skills.
0: I. Uh, it's funny, you know, my dad unfortunately had a lot of health problems and he saw the beginnings. I think we'd maybe, we, we were just raising our seed round of funding and he saw the beginnings of view, and was always a big tech I mean, that's the reason I do what I do is he was always pushing technology. RSI was the first company that allowed um, insurance companies to order on the web, right? This was really innovative at the time. You know, this was 20, 28K, you know, 56K modems and, you know, so ordering and having a web page was pretty unique. Uh, and so, you know, I think he was really happy to see me pushing, uh, you know, the new technology and finding a new use for it. He knew, he knew that drones were going to be a thing in insurance probably before I even did but uh you know was obviously less involved in it and uh you know i think he he was talking about ai and insurance when wow. i was still saying dad it's not ready there's no way it'll ever work so you know in some in some regards um you know you have to respect that the people that would say things could happen when you didn't think they could yeah you know, I think, that yeah. boundary
1: so where's what's 2018 look like for better view
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest things for us is really uh, it's our we call it our property profile product. But using that manned aircraft imagery and that satellite imagery that that product we're we're showing to people now and um, the uptick and the the need for that type of data around roof condition and shape and type and these things and and other things that it can do. uh, There's a lot. There's like a pent up demand for it. And so we're very excited about that. And in in addition, you know, we've seen a lot more that people want that on the front end, and then they want the drone flight for the ones they need to look further on. And, um, you know, I think you kind of touched on this before, but at least in the insurance industry, and love to hear your take on this, but uh, most of these carriers, they want a solution. They don't want pieces and bits of the solution. They actually want to be presented a solution. So, if you just tell somebody, hey, you have a bunch of problems here, but I don't give you a way to look further or take it to the next step, you're actually creating another problem for them. Um, and so more work. Yeah, you're creating more work. So you need to give them, you know, I think that's one of the learnings we've had through this process is you can't just give them like, oh, we're just going to provide the drone software. Well, they're not ready to fly on their own yet. So you need to help them fly. Right. Um, or we're just going to give you satellite data. Well, then what? I tell you this roof is in bad condition. Now what do you do with it? You know, you need to look further. So can you give them a path to that? And I think that's really important. So I think 2018, we're seeing all that sort of come together. Um, The technology has really gotten to a place that can, you know, this stuff works really well and it's consistent and reliable. Um, And the, the, the bridging of sort of the aerial imagery and the drone and kind of coming into one platform in place. Um, we are seeing the right signs that, that, uh, it's a big year for that. And, you know, I think unfortunately 2017 with the cats, 2018 shaping up to be worse if you look at some of the models. So, um, this problem isn't going away, you know, uh, claims are going to continue to happen. Fraud goes lockstep, lockstep with the amount of claims, um, and rates aren't necessarily going up. So insurance companies need to, to, to use the data that's out there and use it more efficiently. And they're not going to use it by just pulling in all the data and have it sitting there. They need people to pull it together and aggregate it for them.
1: Yeah, sounds sounds great. Um, you and I will continue the conversation offline because uh, I and I, I, I we're going to have you back on, especially when cat season comes back. You know, you might you're going to be busy, but we'll we're, we're, we'll figure something out because uh, this is definitely becoming um, like just absolute mandatory just like the cat models became mandatory at the insurance carriers. Now, uh, this kind of imagery is just going to become mandatory for all insurers to be able to process their uh, their work. So uh, hats off to you. So we're getting close to the end of the podcast, David. This is the uh, part of the podcast where I tried to get a little bit more personal with my guests. And, you know, I've become a productivity nut. A lot of technology is getting thrown at us. So I'd like to ask my guests, and I think our listeners are interested as well, um, on what tools or techniques do you use to stay productive?
0: Yeah, I'd say the, the, the first one is probably a little low tech, if you will, but I, I'm kind of a proponent of inbox zero or as close to it as it can be. I, I like to try to clear out as many of the emails during the day as I can, um, so I can go home and sort of shut off and be with my wife and my 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 child and sort of focus for a little bit uh it's hard uh it's hard to do that but um you know it's i hate having a bunch of unread i hate that little indicator in the in the mail app saying that i have unread messages um so you know i think i see people get stacked up when they don't respond to things and try to respond um quickly and then they never they never bear unbury so i try to do that um also just sending, I mean, you know, again, not very high tech, but I set calendar reminders for myself. If somebody talks about talking next week, I send them a calendar invite because if it's not on my calendar at this point, like I can't schedule it in. There's just not enough time. So um, just trying to be really organized around scheduling. And even my wife, unfortunately, she has to put things on my calendar if she wants me to go to them because otherwise I could be off at a venture thing or traveling to see a client or something like that. So um focused around on that. And then for anything else, you know, I, I don't have it with me right now, which isn't great. But I usually have a little notebook that I bring with and it's always in my computer bag and I'm writing things down and I do it by day. So it's not like a journal per se, but it's in the morning I try to write down all the things that I know I need to get done that day. Um and I check them off as I go. So I can kind of see at the end of the day, did I get done what I had hoped to? Obviously things come in throughout the day uh to do that. And you know, I, I've used different to-do list and reminder apps and things like that. I, I generally use the one on the iPhone, the reminder app for certain things too, cause I can put a time to it and it bugs me until I do it. So nothing super high tech there. Um, but uh, you know, just trying to stay on top of, of things the best you can. I think, you know, when you're dealing with customers and we all are in some way or another, they want to be heard and know that you're getting back to them as quickly as possible. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I love notebooks. Um, my, the struggle that I had with notebooks is I would, uh, I, I knew I would, I had taken a note of something and I would yeah. go back through my notebook and I couldn't remember what day and I struggled to find it. So, um, I started using the Everlast notebook. Okay. Um, it has its own app and so I can take notes and then, um, when it, using the app, it automatically detects the notebook, quickly takes a snapshot and then with the button sends, sends the PDF that's your nice. email. So it's um, different
0: than I, Evernote. That's a different, not it's
1: different. different. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, spe- it's a
0: special notebook. I use Evernote for business cards and things like that. And other sort of just generalized notes. And I like, yeah. I like that, but that's interesting. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's weird. Cause it's like, it's another app and <laughs> I, you know, and I have my regular notebook on the floor right behind me. I haven't opened it in a while, but every once in a while, it's like, I miss that thing.
0: There's something you nice know? about writing it down. in Yes. Case. Um, yeah. I and tried
1: the iPad and do it taking notes on that, and at first it was like, "Oh, I th- I think this could actually work," but then I'm kind of I'm lump, you know, I got the iPad with my laptop, and I'm, it's my bags heavy, and I have to open it up and use my fingerprint, and then find the app. And
0: yeah, I would argue it's too easy to get distracted too. Whereas if you have a notebook open and you're writing in that notebook, you really can't focus on anything else. And, yeah. and I think that's half the battle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I end every podcast with a question of books because we have a listener, listener base that loves books. I love books. Uh, I can't get to all the books, uh, that I want to get to. So I'm curious, uh, from your perspective, what books have you found to be influential in your, uh, business and or personal lives?
0: Yeah, there's a few, I mean, I'll name a couple. I've I've been listening to or reading recently. Um, there's a raid uh, Diallo's book, uh, principles, uh, which I'm currently trying to finish up. Uh, I haven't had much time to, I, I, really like, um, creative confidence from, uh, the IDEO, one of the IDEO founders. That's one of those ones that I kind of keep going back to when different challenges, you know, inter- either in my company or, you know, when we're facing sort of, uh, design thinking challenges, if you will. Um, those are two that just kind of come to mind as I think about the audience and, um, you know, uh, principles is interesting because, you know, it talks about sort of business principles, but it talks about personal principles as well. And I, I think that's kind of unique. Um, it's one that I, I currently like. And I being, you know, here in, the, in Silicon Valley, I also enjoy the, you know, the Steve Jobs books and the, you know, some, uh, some, some of that. And it's not just for, you know, not as these are necessary things to do. Some of the lessons in there are things to not do. But, uh, but uh, you know, there, I've read uh, many of those as well.
1: Yeah, the, the the Ray Diallo book is um, has been um, mentioned a couple times. So uh, we'll get that on the show notes as well as the others. Creative Confidence, I'd never heard of. This is why I asked the question. Yeah,
0: so, you know, a, I, I can go look it up. I mean, design thinking in and of itself is pretty interesting. And I, I, I really like the concepts behind it. And so this is a, a sort of a practical guide and uh, can be very helpful as you're facing tough challenges.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, David, it's been a pleasure having you on and learning more about BetterView. Uh Without a doubt, we will be talking more about that. Um, I, I, I would like to learn more and I especially want to see how your uh, technology improves. So if uh, if someone's listening and they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, go to our website, see a little bit about what we do, betterview.net. Also reach me personally at dtobias at betterview.net. Happy to chat with people who are doing interesting things in the space. And if we can do business together, great. If if we can't and there's something else, uh, that's fine too. But always like connecting with people in the insurance space and the insure tech space specifically. And uh, if I can help, even if I don't have the answer, I'll try to lead you in the right direction.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Uh, My guest this week has been David Tobias of Betterview. David, thanks again.
0: Thanks for having me. Thanks so much.